this week, our focus is engaging His purpose. His purpose. I want to read to you from two different passages in the Gospels. First one is Matthew chapter 18. Begin with verse number 10. Matthew 18 and verse number 10 says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come. I want you either on your... I saw... I think I'm going to post it. I saw... I took a screenshot the other day. Somebody posted a video from Brother Nathaniel Urshan, former general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church, preaching at a conference in Louisiana called Because of the Times. And it was a really interesting... They had the camera on the crowd as he was reading his text. And I saw something I really miss. Because that was not only before the days of cell phones, but that was also before the day of screens. And this one particular shot, you could see it beyond it, but especially the group that was focused on every single person in a matter of a couple of rows had an open Bible. I miss that. I see a few of them. That's another subject for another day. So either on your device, on the screen, or those of you that have an open Bible in the King James, I want you to notice clearly what that says. The Son of Man came to save what? That which was lost. I think most of the times we quote that verse, I think we probably say it, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost but it doesn't say that and then Luke chapter 19 verse number 1 Jesus entered and passed through Jericho and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus which was the chief among the publicans and he was rich this next verse is one of the verses in the Bible that lets you know basketball is a good thing If you didn't know, basketball and baseball can be found in the Bible. Baseball is found in the the beginning. I'll let that sink in for a moment. Yes, I am a dad, and I do have dad jokes. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press. I'm assuming he was the point guard. Because usually it's the small guys that are the point guards. So anyway, let's get serious. I'm speaking Greek to some of you. Because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came... To the place he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, 
make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Isn't that an interesting statement? He didn't say, I want to come to your house. I'd like to come to He said, I, I must. I need to come to your house, Zacchaeus. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, thank you so much for your presence that we have felt in this place today. Thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. Thank you for the touch of your spirit that has already been manifested in this place. You've already touched hearts and lives in a powerful way, and I thank you for that. Father, I pray today as we continue another week of this theme that you've given us, that we would focus and be renewed in our efforts to be engaged in your purpose, God. I pray that today, God, you would speak to our hearts and our lives, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that would be open to receive what you would say. Let our hearts be good ground for the seed of your word today that it might produce in and through our lives, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I trust you today, Father, to depend on you and acknowledge that without you I can do nothing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. For those of you that may not be very familiar with this concept, oftentimes in the King James Bible, you will find words in italics. They're not in italics in the way that we normally think of italics. Normally, if something is in italics, it's, it's sort of just to emphasize it and draw your attention. And I guess to a degree that that is why it's in italics. But there's a There's a more significant reason why words are in italics in the King James Version. And that is because the translators are trying to make sure you understand that word was not necessarily in the original language. And so for various reasons, when they translated the Bible, they added that word in. Maybe it was because they thought it made, they made, it made it flow better or they thought that was more so the meaning. And, and it's from my experience, my perspective, most of the time it's not necessarily a problem. There are some times I think it's significant to notice that if you take that word that's in italics out, that there could be something a little bit different being said. And so I, I, I want you to notice, you don't really see it on the screen. I don't usually think, I don't think a lot of times on a, on a digital Bible it does it.
quite as consistently, but if you have a printed Bible, if you, if you look at both Matthew 18 and 11 and Luke 19 and verse number 10, you will see that, that the word that is not in italics. And as best I can tell from my own personal study of this verse, it is accurate that it is translated this way. To say that the Son of Man came to seek and save not the lost, but that which was lost. Jesus expressed that His mission, the reason why He came, was for this purpose. And I think you could say that everything He came to do, everything He did, was all ultimately connected to this purpose right here. Seeking and saving that which was lost. I don't profess by any means to be a theologian or a Bible scholar. I view myself as a student. So I don't preach or teach from the perspective of feeling like I am an expert. Bottom line is I'm not sure anybody's really truly an expert on the Word of God because there are depths to it that no one has ever fully gotten to. But I, I, think, I think the summary... Or I, I think the uh, I, I think the the primary thing or answer to this verse of of if you pose the question what was lost he came to seek and save that which was lost so so what is it that was lost I believe we find the basic answer to that in the book of Genesis, all the way back to the very beginning. Because in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6, the scripture says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of them both were opened, as, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And now verse number 8. I think verse number 8 is, is in essence the description of what was lost. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It is, it is thought, I've tried to confirm this in some way, I, I haven't found the, the confirmation per se, if you know it, if you have it, I'd love to hear it, but it is thought that this was essentially a daily experience for them. That every day in the cool of the evening, God would come to fellowship. He would come to spend time with them. He would come to interact with them. 
But on this day, it was different. And the scripture says God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And at this point, that pure relationship, fellowship with God was lost. And so God manifested himself in flesh to come and to seek and save what was lost. A personal, intimate relationship with him. Notice God God knew what they had done. Anybody ever had God ask you a question? Anybody? I'm assuming you can attest to this. I can tell you from a scriptural standpoint, God never asked any person a question because he didn't know the answer. He never asked one question because he was stumped for what the answer was. It was always a setup. So if God hasn't asked you a question and he does, you might want to be slow to answer even if you think you know the answer. He, he, he came walking. Why was I talking about that? I'm trying to act like I knew what I'm doing, but I might as well just tell you. Why did I get on that? Why did I get on a question? Oh, yeah, because the next verse, I think it is. There we go. He asks the question, where are you? I think Adam and Eve were kind of like, you ever, anybody ever played hide and seek with a, with a small child? They are of the opinion, if I can't see you, you can't see me. The only thing that may be hidden is my eyes. The rest of my body may be showing, but if I can't see you, then that means you can't see me. How do you hide from God? How do you hide from an omnipresent, all-seeing God? You, you don't, and God was kind enough to play the game. <laughs> Adam, where are you? Well, I'm, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? What is it, Adam, that has taken away this innocence and this relationship that we have enjoyed up to this point? You see, as much as any of us may want to have a relationship with God, as much as any of us may desire to walk with God, can I tell you today that God's desire to have a relationship with us, God's desire to fellowship with us is far greater than even the most intense desire any human being has. In fact, the bottom line is, if I this may be an oversimplification, but God created this whole thing ultimately for the purpose of being able to have a relationship with mankind and to fellowship with mankind. And so he says, I'm coming to this earth because there's something that I had that is lost and I want to get it back. I've come to seek and save what was lost. Jesus in the beginning of his ministry, the initial stages of his ministry, 
fact, go to Luke chapter 4 and in verse number 3 of Luke is when, or excuse me, chapter number 3 of Luke is when Jesus is baptized, the end of that chapter. So this is, this is the very beginning of his ministry. Beginning of chapter 4 is when he goes into the wilderness and he, he is uh, tempted of, the, of, of Satan three times. And now he is coming back from the wilderness. And Luke 4 and 14 says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written we're going to go in just a second to the book of Isaiah and read what the prophet Isaiah said that Jesus read if I'm not mistaken I think these are the sort of the first recorded words of Jesus in this context of speaking to the public. I, I know earlier in this chapter there's recorded words of Jesus as he tells Satan it is written. But as far as addressing a group of people, as, as far as publicly speaking, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is, this is the first time. And out of all of the things he could have read, out of all of the things from the prophets he could have read. Listen to what he read to them that day. Isaiah 61 and verse 1 is where this prophecy is found. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I, I think in essence what this passage is saying is, is basically expounding on what Jesus said he had come to do. I came to seek and save what was lost, and, and here's the way in which that's going to happen. It's going to happen by giving good tidings to the meek. It's, it's going to happen by binding up the brokenhearted. It's going to happen by proclaiming liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to them that are bound. It's going to happen by proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. It's going to happen by comforting all that mourn. It's going to happen by making this exchange of taking someone's ashes and giving them beauty in return. Of giving someone the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. 
I want to return things back to the condition they were supposed to be in. I want to take place, I want to take things back to the original way I intended for them to be. I know that the wise man says there's nothing new under the sun. And, and, and I'm sure that's true, but there are times I don't know that I fully understand what that means because I feel like I see things at times in our world that seems to be new. And so maybe, maybe it's not necessarily that there is anything new, but it's the fact that maybe some of the means by which they are done or the methods that are now available is different but it's the same old issue but I'm just going to tell you it does seem to me that this world is more broken or broke than it's ever been there's more lives that are a mess and a greater mess than they've ever been in before The depths of the hurt of lives seems to be deeper than it's ever been before. The dysfunction of families is greater, seems to be greater than it's ever been before. The brokenness of lives seems to be greater. But Jesus said, I've come to recover what was lost. I've come to give back what's been stolen. I've come to make a trade for some things that may not have any value. I've got some things stored away in boxes and bins and containers that are very valuable to me. They're, They're not worth anything. If I put them out on a table for a yard sale, somebody probably wouldn't give more than a quarter for some of them. But to me, they are extremely valuable. If you're going to try to purchase something, if you're going to make a trade, you are going to try to make a trade of things of equal value. Why we all celebrate when we get a deal. We got something way cheaper than what it's worth. Jesus, quoting part of what Isaiah says, Isaiah saying, and the Lord speaking through Isaiah, I, I, I want to recover some things. You, you weren't made to live with a garment of heaviness. You weren't created as a human being to live weighted down with life and the circumstances of life. You, you weren't made to be broken by the things that you go through. You, you weren't made for that. You were made to be whole. You were made to be at peace. You were made for the Spirit of God to operate in and through your life. And Jesus says, I've come to get back some things that were stolen. And so I've come to challenge this congregation today. If God intended to get back some things that were stolen, then the way that you and I engage in God's purpose is helping those that have lost some things that God intended for them to have and to help them get those things back. He says... Watch this, verse 3 again. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be, what? 
What did we sing earlier this morning? What did we sing earlier this morning? In my life, in my life, be lifted high. In my life, be glorified. Do you know that Jesus gave us a very clear explanation of how the Father is glorified? He told us that in John 15 and verse number 8. Herein, this is how my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Oh yes, it's important that we do what we've done here today and sing and worship. It's important that we do other things that are a part of our spiritual disciplines. But it's not just your prayer. It's not just your worship through which He is glorified. He is glorified by fruitfulness in our lives. And one of the manifestations of fruitfulness is when we are connected to Him in such a way that He shines through us, that He flows through through us and that those around us are impacted and the things that they have lost they regain not because of us not because of our abilities and our strengths and our talents but simply because we have become a conduit day stars shine down on me let your love shine through me in the night don't mean this to be unkind I'm going to say it pretty straightforward. Hopefully get some of your attention. There's a few of you in this room today. You are so miserable. I'm talking to people that are supposed to be saved. I'm not talking to a guest right now. There's some of you today. You are so miserable. You are so unhappy. You are so discontent in life right now. You know why some of you it's that way? Because this is your theme song. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about me. It's all about me. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things you've done. Because it's all about me. It's all about me. One of the most miserable ways to live is life that's all about you. But the most fulfilling way to live is when life is not all about me. It's not about what I can get. What can I accumulate? What what toys can I get? But it's when I realize the greatest opportunity that I have is to allow His love to shine down on me and through me and let me be a conduit by which His purpose is fulfilled in people's lives. The purpose of seeking and saving what was lost. Families that should be healthy and whole, but are broken and torn apart. God wants that to be recovered. Lives that are supposed to be free and living in freedom that are bound by addiction. He wants that freedom to be recovered. No, not freedom to keep living however you want to live, but freedom to live real life. Freedom of life that comes from Him. The way, the truth, and the life. The one that said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. See, I know it's a Sunday morning and 
Most of the time, Sunday mornings, the focus is a little different. But we're in a little different season for these couple of weeks. But unfortunately, I think we have made ministry about a position, a title, a role. Not that we don't need those things. Not that there's something wrong with those things. But if we're not careful... I I challenged the leadership last week in the Leadership Summit online. (laughs) Ministry is not just about what you do based on the ministry you're in. What I do behind this pulpit is only a small portion of what I'm supposed to do. This is only a small portion of what ministry is. And if all you ever think of as ministry is in the context of your role or your position, you are greatly missing it. If you read through the Gospels and read the life of Jesus, I think what you will find is most of what Jesus did was not in some kind of schedule, formalized setting. It wasn't at some pre-planned place and time and and. Before you, whatever, there is a purpose for the pre-planned places and times. We need what we're doing here today. We need what we will do tonight. We need what we will do Thursday night. But that is not all that we do. That's not all that we are about. And if that's the only time we have an expectation for God to do something in us and through us, we are greatly missing what God wants to do. If the only time Jesus ever did something was at the synagogue, there's a whole lot of things He did that would have never happened. It was while He was in the midst of living life that the miraculous took place. He was just going about his business and there was a disruption of somebody that had a need and he responded. It was his lifestyle. It was the way he lived. That's his purpose. I don't care what, how nice of a house you live in. I don't care how nice of a car you drive. I don't care how expensive the clothes you wear. I don't care how successful you are in your career. You will never be content. You will never find satisfaction without fulfilling the purpose of God in your life. You'll probably... More than likely next week, the Lord willing will will kind of focus on this even more. But but it's not a coincidence, the sequence of presence and purpose and power. If we don't start in His presence, if you and I don't live in His presence, we cannot bear fruit. Because fruitfulness comes from His Spirit. It comes from being in His presence. And that leads us to the purpose that God has for every single one of us. And then the purpose is not for... The purpose of His power is not for our own benefit and pleasure. The John Hemus will be doing the video message for Tuesday evening as a part of Engage, talking about purpose. And oh, it's... Both the ones so far, Sister Joe Strand, Brother Near, have been just absolutely 
perfect words from God, so timely, fitting so well. And this next one is the same thing. I don't really remember when I called Brother Hemus to ask him to record the video. I, I don't remember how much detail I went into. I don't think I went into a whole lot, but I, I, I can't say one way or the other for sure. But he, he, he was so in the flow of the Spirit of God because he got to talking about the power of God and the miraculous, but he was talking about it in exact alignment with what I feel like God is trying to say to us and is going to say to us in this coming week. The power of God is not intended for you and I to just walk around and enjoying the benefits of the power of God. I am of the opinion that we don't see the miraculous more because we want it for our own benefit. I believe we don't see more healings because our focus is we want it for ourselves. But when we are engaged in God's purpose, God is interesting and interested in manifesting His power, not so you and I can just consume it upon ourselves, but for those that He's trying to renew and restore can see who He is and what He can do. Jesus said it this way, These signs shall... Shall what? Follow. Let me show you how a lot of us walk with God. That, that over there is, is heaven. That's the goal. That's the destination, okay? That's where we're all trying to get to. But let me show you how a lot of us live for God. Where, where's all the signs? Where's all the miracles? Where's all the wonders? They're not for you. This is how the believer ought to be walking. I press toward the mark. I got a mark. I got something I'm trying to achieve. And so I'm forgetting, Paul says. Forgetting what is behind. What's behind doesn't matter. What matters for you and I as the believer is what's ahead. The presence of God. The purpose of God. And so if I will make my focus on pursuing that, then I have a promise that following behind me is going to be signs. Not so that I can know God is real. Not so that my faith can be increased. But so that those that need the witness can see. There's a phrase that you will find in Scripture. I don't know how many times, but I know it's there at least a time or two. And that was with regards to something Jesus did, a a miracle Jesus performed. The Scripture would say it was noised abroad. It was noised abroad. Because it wasn't intended to be for the benefit of those that were already believing. I I don't want to get on some of what I feel like God has already given me for next week. But I believe some of the reasons some of you are struggling financially and God's not blessing you is because you only want it so you can consume it on yourself. 
But when we acknowledge the purpose of the kingdom of God and what we're doing here, God wants to give us more resources so that they can be used for the sake of the kingdom. However, in the process of it flowing through you for the sake of the kingdom, you get blessed by it. Jesus tells, Jesus tells the story of a rich man. He gets to looking around. Man, I got a lot of stuff. I don't know, maybe, uh, Sister Mott, maybe you can answer this or not, but I know that most places, I, if, anybody, if any place, I would see possibly Europe, England being a place. But I, I, I've traveled a lot of, I haven't been on every continent. I've been on almost every one. I've traveled to a lot of different countries. Off the top of my head, I don't ever recall seeing self-storage facilities. Do they have them in England? They do. I've never seen them in Asia. I've never seen them in Africa. They may be there. I'm just telling you, I don't ever remember seeing them. You can't hardly drive five, ten minutes in this area. They just built a whole another one on Route 50. I think it's, I don't know if it's owned by the, the same company i don't I, I guess it's the same owner i don't know if you go on 50 get on 50 heading off of route 2 heading toward uh, uh the bay bridge there's always been a place right there and i mean let's like this two or three story massive facility now i know I, i've seen it a couple of times and i know sometimes if you're moving and you know, i know there's some legitimate reason and there's some times when we've been in that process and we've had a storage unit. And I've noticed that actually there are some people that have some units because they use them for, for their businesses. And I get that. But that's not the main reason why they're there. The main reason they're there is because we got too much stuff. And rather than getting rid of it, we store it. Now, if you think I'm shooting at you, preaching to you today... I'll just go ahead and tell you, we got half a garage right now that's still full of stuff. That has, I I, I hope you don't disrespect me for this. I'm just going to be honest with you, though. Most of it has been either in the garage or in a storage container for two plus years. I hear some of you. If you ain't touched it in six months, throw it away. You don't need it. Well, you throw your stuff away, but I need mine. I am certain that stuff in boxes that has not been opened in two plus years, I need it. Part of my problem is i just too sentimental. So there's probably something in one of those boxes that means something to me that I need to put in a bin in the attic and not look at for years. rich man said I, I i've got a lot of stuff but i don't have room for more stuff so i want to build bigger barns why so i can store more stuff and the lord says oh you fool this night is your soul going to be required of you and when your soul is taken from you what's going to happen to all that stuff 
I think I said it just a couple of weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, but I have never one time seen a funeral procession with a U-Haul truck or moving van in that procession. You don't take it with you. If you ever had the opportunity, chance to buy a brand new car, I've learned through the years one of the best things that happens when you get a brand new car is go ahead and get the first dent. Hurry up and get the first scratch. Ford Expedition I had a couple of years ago, I, it was very short time after I got it. And of all places, on the driver's door. I mean, it could have been the other side where I could have forgotten about it. But every single time. But what a great reminder. There is no possession. There is no thing. There is no person that can satisfy. The only thing that can satisfy is Him. And the only thing that's going to ultimately bring fulfillment is your relationship with Him. And engaging in His purpose for your life. I'm not here today. If you're not involved in some kind of ministry, you ought to be. Every believer ought to be involved in ministry. But I'm not here today making an appeal to get people involved in a ministry. I'm here to remind you we ought to all be engaged in ministry 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We ought to be looking for the opportunity. I didn't say 24 hours a day, 7 days a week you were in ministry. But I think we need to be aware that any point, any time, any place there might be an opportunity that there's something that was lost that God is interested in you and I being a part of the process of recovering what was lost I I want you to hear this and, and I'm winding down I believe we are called to reach the lost there's no there's no denying that Not only did Jesus come to seek and save that which was lost, He came to save those who were lost. But it's not just the lost that sometimes need to be saved. Listen to what James says, James 5 and verse number 19. Brethren, brethren, somebody say brethren, cistern. Brethren, brethren, I I want you to get that. That first word is stating who is being talked about. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, not just convert the sinner, but someone who has known the truth, And has erred from the truth. If you convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. The New Living Translation says it this way, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness 
of many sins. And then the message Bible. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. If you've known people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Don't become the elder brother. In Jesus' name, if there is a spirit of the elder brother in this congregation and anywhere, I pray that God would drive it out of this place. Let the spirit of the father prevail in this congregation, not the spirit of the elder brother. And when the prodigal comes back, who's lost his way, let's not be the elder brother that sits around and pouts because I've been here all along and I never left. I never did this and that. Let's be a part of the father's celebration. You, you see, I, I told you I was winding down. The tower just told me we had to make another loop. There is this, there is this idea going on in our world today that if you stand for any absolutes, that you are you are judgmental, you are you are intolerant. I I, I don't want to get off on this and make anybody mad, but it, I. There's some things that I'm aware of that if I say them and they make you mad, it's not my problem. You know who the most intolerant people in this world today, and you know who the most intolerant people in this nation are? It's those that are running around accusing everybody that believes there are absolute truth. That if you believe that there is absolute truth, you are intolerant. I can believe in absolute truth and still know that in spite of the absolute truth, God loves every individual, no matter who they are, no matter what they're doing, no matter how they're living. And the enemy has done a great job at getting the church to compromise what it believes. Because if you stand for absolutes, you are intolerant. I'm not intolerant. I just believe there is right or wrong. There is sin. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof is death. That's not the answer. The answer is not us saying, well, you know, there's not just one way to get to heaven. That's not the answer. The answer is not to just say, well, we all believe in a higher power, whoever's. There's only one. That one said, beside me. Beside me. There is no other God. And Scripture declares plainly to us that we know the name of that God to be Jesus because there is not salvation in any other name. There is only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'd rather be called intolerant than face the consequences 
of telling everybody, live however you want to live, do whatever you want to do. It's all good. We're all going to the same place, just getting there by different roads. There's only one road. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He did not say, I am a way. I am a truth. I am a life. He said, one singular And then, of course, here we go. Here we, everybody always wants to go to the extreme. Well, what about the person who's never heard the name of Jesus? What about somebody in some village down in the Amazon that's never had a Bible? I don't know. What about you that has a Bible? You want to use the exception? What about that person in a village somewhere that's never heard the name of Jesus? I'll tell you what about them. I believe in a just God. But I'm not going to sit and compromise what I believe the truth of the Word of God is because of something that may be one minor exception that I can't explain. I'm going to trust. And you know what? Bottom line is, I've said this before, I'll say it again. If I get to heaven and I find out the only thing you had to do was accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior to get in, I promise you I won't look at Jesus and say, sorry, I'm leaving. Because you know what? I don't want anybody to go to hell. I'm not interested in anybody being lost. But neither am I going to compromise that Jesus said the only way to see the kingdom is that you got to be born again. Except you be born of water and of the Spirit. You cannot enter the kingdom. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul said I declare unto you the gospel which is the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ my dear friends If you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back. Go after them. Get them back. Go after them. Get them back. But don't go after them. Go after them. Oh, I'll go at you. I'll go at no. No, no, go after them the way the good Samaritan did. I see you're wounded. I see you're broken. I see life has gotten to you. Let me put you on my animal. Let me pour out my oil, my wine for healing. Let me take you to the place where you can be whole. And let me make sure you get what you need. And you... And you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. I've said it recently and I'll keep saying it. When it comes to leading, there is a a point at which, as Bishop said several years ago, we love everybody but we lead the hungry. 
But let me tell you something. You hear me today. I know it's Sunday morning. You hear me today, Antioch Central. Don't ever let it be said of us that we wrote somebody off before God did. And you better always err on the side. There's still hope. You better always err on the side. There's still some life there. You better always err on the side that there's still some mercy and grace to be poured out. And be careful when you assume you know the reasons behind what they did. I've quoted this numerous times now, and I'm going to keep quoting it. I heard Brother Joe Strand say several years ago, the session he was teaching, I was watching it, it was archived. You can't assign motive to someone. You can't assign motive. It's not up to you and I to discern. Yeah, I know. I did that. No, you don't know. You don't know. I, I I sat once again these last two weeks. Two weeks ago on a Wednesday night, or a week and a half ago, I guess a Wednesday night. This past week on uh, Thursday night, I, I of course I knew I know my wife pretty well, but there was some things I learned about Melissa. Man, I tell you what, we are absolute fools. To ever think that we know how somebody's doing based on what we can see. Because sometimes, it's not hypocrisy. Sometimes the grace of God empowers us to act in a way that's very different than what's going on. Sometimes we come in, we're broken and battered by what's going on in our world. We're going through hell and we walk into this sanctuary and we lift up holy hands and we praise and we worship in spite of what we're going through. Not because we're trying to fake it, not because we're trying to be a hypocrite. We just know if somehow I can get in the presence of God, I can get what I need and I know how to get there. I know what to do. But that doesn't mean they're doing what they're doing because everything's going good. I've said it many times. I won't keep saying it. I decided that some, I don't even know when, but I decided years ago in parenting, I was not just going to deal with the, 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 uh, the action. I wanted to know what was going on in the heart. And I always wanted it to be rebellion. Because if you did what you did out of rebellion, I know how to deal with that. No problem. You're still young enough, meet me in the bathroom while I go get the paint stick. The older you got, take your phone, do something. But you know what? You hear me today, parents. Hear me, parents. I believe the majority of the time, your child's disobedience is not rebellion. Which is why when all you do is just discipline over the actions, you're not getting any progress. Because there's something deeper going on in the heart. And that doesn't mean if you disobey, you shouldn't still get some discipline. But I think the punishment, the discipline should be adjusted based on what you come to the conclusion is the motive. 
When I found out and believed there was more going on than just rebellion, I still had to do some discipline because what you did was wrong, but it wasn't going to be the same. It's easy just to discipline. That part's easy. Go to them and spank you. I did my job. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Yes, we did that. And for those of you that are old school and you never had time out, I'm sorry. We used time out. Because when we put a kid in the corner and said, you stay there until your attitude changes, it worked. We didn't put them there and say, oh, you got there five. No, it wasn't no five minutes, ten minutes. It was you stay there till it worked. Usually what would happen. Mom, yeah, has my attitude changed? I don't know. You tell me. But eventually, it changed. There were a few times that I spanked them. I did the job, and once the pain ceased, the tears stopped, there was no change. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful God doesn't respond to me based on my actions alone. Sin is sin. Oh, hallelujah. Sin is sin, but God looks at the heart. Some... I just, they just told me we had to go around again. There's something going on on the runway. We can't, we can't land the plane yet. <laughs> oh, bye. I did all that and I forgot what I was saying. Again, what was I saying? Sin is sin. It is. I know that. What's the... What's the point of sin? Jason, where you at? You usually bail. I said, what? You can't. You can't. I don't think you can. <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. Well, let's read this. Maybe that'll. Nathaniel, why don't you come play? Give him hope. Ezekiel 34, 15. Man, that was going to be something good, I know. <laughs> oh, well. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. Watch this, watch this, watch this. I, oh, see, there it is. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible. I don't know how many times I've used this. I need some new stuff. 176 verses. 176 verses. Longest chapter in the Bible. I think it's 175 or so verses that have a direct reference to the Word of God. Words like statutes, judgments, laws, precepts, testimonies, commandments, etc. I'm pretty sure it's about 175 verses. It is just an amazing declaration of the Word of God. And verse 176, which you would think would be the exclamation of all of that. Look at what he says. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. 
Seek thy servant. Why? I do not forget your commandments. They must not believe the word of God anymore based on the way they're living. Maybe, maybe they've gone astray. Maybe they do believe it. Maybe they still have confidence that it's right and true. And in fact, it's in Psalm 119. The psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But then at the end of all of that, he says, I've gone astray. But I don't forget your words. Come find me, God. Come seek that which was lost. I will seek that which was lost. Ezekiel 34, 16. And bring again that which was driven away. And will bind up that which was broken. And will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. Those that have wandered, those that have strayed, I'm going to go get them and I'm going to take care of them. But the ones that are sitting around on their high horse, I got something for them. Living Bible says it this way. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and cause them to lie down in peace. The Lord God says. I will seek my lost ones. Those who strayed away and bring them safely home again. I will put splints and bandages upon their broken limbs and heal the sick. And I will destroy the powerful fat shepherds. I'm going on a diet. I will feed them. Yes, feed them punishment. I, 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 I. The Lord didn't say, well, you knew better. You shouldn't have strayed. Figure out how to get back. He said, I'm going after them. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to go find them because I want to restore that which was lost. Yes, there are specifics to the call of God on our lives individually. Some of us are called to similar things. Some of us are called to different roles. Some of us are called to maybe somewhat unique things. I believe that every person has something God has called you to specifically. And you ought to find that out. The bottom line is, whatever my specific calling may be, His purpose is to seek and save that which was lost. I believe it is time for you and I to once again fully engage in God's purpose. As I often do, I got sidetracked earlier. I don't think I finished the point I was felt to make. Outreach, evangelism is not supposed to be a department in the church. 
reaching to lost souls is not supposed to be some kind of organized department of the church. I am convinced the reason so many churches have to have outreach departments is because the body is not doing what it's supposed to do. And so the only way for us to fulfill our purpose is to get a couple people that we organize to go do the job for us. Because every one of us is supposed to be involved in His purpose, seeking and saving that which was lost. So as I have tried to preach, that may be the sinner that's never been born again the first time. That may be the saint that has wandered and strayed. That may be a brother or a sister who is still walking with God, but there are things in their lives that God would like to restore that have been lost. There are marriages in this congregation that are not where they should be. You've lost some things in your relationship. It's the will of God for it to be restored. There's families in this place that the peace in your home is gone. The peace of your children and the relationship between parent and child is gone. It's the will of God for what's been lost to be restored. I want you to stand. Two different places. Essentially the exact same words Jesus said. I've come to seek and save that which was lost. If it meant so much to him that he repeated those words two times, I think you and I need to pay attention that there is a purpose God has that we need to fully engage in that purpose. One of the things that stood out, I think, to all of us that were at Brother Whaley's first celebration of life, first funeral service, is that while Brother Whaley was a licensed United Pentecostal Church international minister, there were so many testimonies of the ministry that took place in his life was not anything to do with a title, with a position, with a role. Can I tell y'all, I'm gonna tell, can I tell y'all a secret? I probably shouldn't, but I will. Since we came back to Antioch Central, or since Antioch Central was founded and my wife and I came back here full time from traveling. You know what? There, there were there were two or three times that I went to Brother Whaley and asked him to oversee certain things. And do you know all two or three of those things? He basically dropped the ball on. May he rest in peace. And I'll be honest with you, there's a few times I was a little frustrated with him. But I sat there and I listened as testimony after testimony was given. I read post after post after post on Facebook. And I thought, you know what? I'll take a thousand other people that may drop the ball with a title or a position 
But ministry is continuously flowing through their lives. You don't have to have a position. You don't have to have a title to be engaged in His purpose. Father, help us today. Lord, I stand before this congregation and before you, and I confess, I acknowledge that there are times in the sort of the business of the church that we can get distracted from your purpose. There are times that we can get caught up in things that we do, things that we legitimately need to be doing. But things that can also, if we're not careful, become a distraction from being engaged in your purpose. Lord, I know that every soul has always needed salvation. And I know that throughout all the time there have been hurting, wounded, broken people. But God... In these last days that we are living in, it seems like things have been amped up. The heartache and the pain in our world. The darkness. In fact, Lord, your word says there would be a time in which there would be gross darkness. But you also said that the light shines into the darkness and the darkness can never overpower the light. I pray, God, for the sake of this county for the sake of the souls that we interact with that we live around God that you would stir us up to be engaged fully in your purpose whether it's a sinner that's never been saved Lord a lost soul that has never known you or a brother or sister who has wandered from you that has erred from the truth or a fellow a fellow disciple that's that's still walking with you and pursuing you, but there are things in their life that have been lost that you want to restore. God, give us a fresh awareness. Give us a fresh awareness, God, of your purpose, of our responsibility to be engaged in your purpose. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Lead me, Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. You have called me, I will answer. Lead me, Lord. Uh, come on, can we make that prayer for just a few moments as we close this service? Lead me, Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. You have called me. I will answer, lead me, Lord, I will go, lead me, Lord, I
lead me, Lord, I will go. You have called me, I will you.